the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Eric Galindo, Training Director for the FSI Training School. For individuals and businesses, we offer certification courses in CPR and first aid through the American Heart Association. And also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rose Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. Have fun and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the past week's Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. I hope you are. I'm hearing myself. I hope we're coming through. Yeah, and Soapy, with whatever you did last, you cut me off. All right. Are you on now? No. Oh, well. 
We'll get it right in just a moment. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us for the Bible Live broadcast. We're glad you're along with us. And uh, we'll get we'll get uh, Jacob all connected here, and we will join with you in just a moment with our Bible questions. Oh, before you do, there's something very important that i got to say. Yeah, say it. Yes. Happy Mother's Day, all the mothers. Exactly. That, without a doubt. I was so glad this morning we finished up our time out at Lackland with uh, uh, almost 1,500 young airmen and got through the three classes and incredibly uh, just enjoyed it so much. You know, we had one of the trainees this past week uh, died during the training exercises, Jacob, one of our uh, female trainees at Lackland, and um, a young lady that was in our classes this last week, uh, she joined us in the classes that we have each uh, week there at Lackland Air Force Base, and it was such a great privilege to be with her and uh, and know that she had heard the message of the gospel, the good news, and it, we, uh, we, as best we can, we've been able to track a bit that, that she did indeed know the Lord, and she was a solid sister in Christ, and we're really thrilled. Her family is from Alabama, and uh, just wanted to tell you that to be in prayer for the Thomas family that is out there in, uh, uh, in Alabama who have lost this child and in training this past week with our uh, Lackland Air Force Base trainees. Um, just brand new, introducing, getting introduced into the, uh, into the Air Force. I'm tinkering here with uh, some of these levers as we talk, trying to make sure I don't show a very good level on our Can microphone. you hear me at all? Yes, I hear you just fine, just fine. Let me get myself tuned up so that we're all... Ah, oh, there we go. That helps out. We are reading this past week, folks, from Second Kings chapters 12 through 25 all the way to the end of the book, of the book of Second Kings. We read First and Second Kings together uh, as a single work of, of history. And uh, we will ask you questions from those final chapters, 12 through 25, and then... Uh, we went over on Friday, we picked up, uh, we moved forward and jumped over into the New Testament where we picked up in the book of the Acts, A-C-T-S, the Acts of the Apostles in some books it's called. We tend to think of it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, God moving the people of God after the time of, of Messiah, moving them uh, in that era, in that time to take that message of forgiveness of God's love, of, of everything that is contained in the gospel message, and uh, taking it around, uh, literally, around the known world of that time, the civilized world of that time, and across the Roman Empire, basically. And that I like how you put, I like how you put that across the civilized empire and and the Roman Empire. And the, you're not a big fan of the Romans. <laughs> it's kind of a holdover, right? The, the uh, wasn't it really? Hey, you happy said time. it. I didn't. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Let me. Uh, I think we're getting set up really well here. We're going to give you some questions from Second Kings, and then I'm going to jump over. We read Acts one, Acts chapter one through uh, chapter three, and four verses uh, into chapter four of the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I I am such a big fan of the book of that book. I like the historicity. I love hearing about what happened. In those early, early decades following the life of Jesus the Messiah, what happened with this as this message 
was proclaimed and taken, how it just like a, I mean, honestly, like a wildfire. I mean, we use that often as a as a picture of of how quickly and powerfully it spread across the Roman Empire. But the people had to have been just incredibly hungry and thirsty for spiritual truth and hope. Uh, and, and this message was so complete and so fulfilling that I think just millions uh, res- responded ultimately as that message was taken from, ma- hand, from mouth to mouth, <laughs> city to city, and uh, spread across the era. that era. It was an explosion, really, literally, a spiritual explosion of that era. So we read about it in the book of the Acts, and we'll ask you some questions from those opening chapters tonight as well. Jacob, you want me to ask some questions from Psalms uh, 74 through 77 and Proverbs, and then how about you? You've got some, I'm sure you've looked over the book of Second Kings and found some questions. That oh, once or twice. You thought it would be healthy for us to, yes. to look at. Okay, well, let me give you some questions, folks, from Psalms uh, 74 through 77. This question comes from, um, oh, Psalm 77. Psalm 77 begins with emotional anguish. Uh, and one thing I, of course, enjoy about the Psalms is they are just the honest, sincere sharing of the feelings and the experiences of pe- people who are following after God, pursuing Him. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're full of praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing, uh, and sometimes they're down. Sometimes they're full of, of misgivings, of confusion. Sometimes they're doubting and asking, where are you, God? What's going on? Why aren't you acting? Well, Psalm 77, 77 is one of those that begins with emotional anguish. And my question to you is, what caused the psalmist distress? What was calling the dis- causing his distress in Psalm 77? Now you find the answer in verses 7 through 10. Psalm 77, 7 through 10. So what was causing the anguish? What was causing the distress in the life of the psalmist in Psalm 77? And then uh, what does the psalmist do to overcome his depression? What does the psalmist do to overcome his emotional anguish from Psalm 77? And you'll find the answer to that in the rest of the uh, the psalm, verses 11 through 20. And then let me ask you one question from the Proverbs. We read Proverbs chapter 12. And this I, I like this question. I remember listening to it myself this week uh, as we were making a note of it as we read through that proverb. Proverbs 12.10 states that the wicked are always cruel, but that a characteristic of the godly is that they take care of what or whom. The wicked are always cruel, but a characteristic of the godly is that they take care of what or whom. Look in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 for the answer. You may, some of you at least, may be surprised by the answer, I'm not sure, not for sure of that, but you might be. Okay, Jacob, what about Second Kings? You got some good questions for us? Yeah, let's do year number one. All right. Once some Israelis, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, under attack by Moabites, tossed a body into Elisha's tomb, and what happened? I have had people, young people, students, almost make fun of me 
for that story in the Bible. <laughs> they they uh, Do they think you wrote it? No, they oh. think well it's just one of those evidences that the Bible is not true and it's just made up of, you know, wild fantastic stories that and so on. It, they kind of make fun of the Bible for this story because yeah, it, it does sort of take you it sort of shocks you as you're reading through the text because everything's going along making perfect sense and and you're hearing these story, this history of the people of Israel and what they do and how they behave and how they react and what God's dealing with them. And all of a sudden, you've got a story like this just sort of stuck in there. And you think, where in the world did that come from? And that could that possibly be true? And I am so looking forward to hearing your comment on that story because, I, like I said, I've, I've uh, taken a little bit of uh, heat. You know, okay. with some young people about that, that story. Well, I'm, it's found dying, in a, I'm dying to get into it too, if you'll pardon the pun. Second Kings, <laughs> get in. Second Kings, chapter thirteen, verse twenty-one is where you find the answer to that question. Yes, and your uh, your number four, which is, what was the final capital of Israel, the nor of the northern ten tribes? Answer: Second okay. Kings seventeen one. All right, they had none, they had several capital cities uh, from the from uh, the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. And this is the final one that was captured and uh, destroyed in 722, right? 722 yes. Uh, B.C. Yes, uh, that's about right, yes. Okay, ready? Yes. Okay, now this one I'm going to weigh in on. You're number 10, and it says, your number 10 says, in the times of Jesus... Devout Jews. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. That's a laugh of recognition. Yes, I, I know this topic. Yes, I know it well. In the times of Jesus, devout Jews hated the Samaritans. Why? And the claim is that the answer can be found in Second Kings 17.29. But when we look at it later, we'll find out that's not right. Okay, well, actually, I think what is not right, you don't like about the question. And well, it's I, not and that I, I don't like. I stick to accuracy. Accuracy instead of uh, what you like and yeah. dislike. Okay, uh, is the idea that Jews harbored... I mean, I suppose every culture has some racist, uh, perhaps possibly have some racist well, tendencies. Some individuals who might have sure. some. There but might, in a general yeah. way, they were not. They did not hate the Samaritans. Well, Is that the idea? Perhaps, yeah, when we get to it, we'll look at 1729, see if that does give the reason. All right, all right. Well, then let's, let's go on then. And uh, that's okay. four questions from the... Oh, no, three questions uh-huh. from the book of Second Kings. Okay, do you want one more? Let's go one more, yeah. All right. Um, okay, 19, Hezekiah asked for a sign to confirm... Isaiah's message of extended life. What sign did God give him? The answer is in Second Kings twenty eleven. You like that one, huh? Yes. I'm interested in what you're going to say about it. I am too. <laughs> when you find out, right? Yeah. Okay, here's from the book of Acts. From the New Testament now, ah. we're going to jump forward. Let's give you a question or two from the book of Acts. Um. To whom did Dr. Luke address both of his books? We're talking about the Gospel of Luke uh, that we've already read earlier uh, this reading year and the book of Acts that we're reading now. To whom does Dr. Luke address both of his books? And what does the name mean? All right. And it, it's 
in both cases, I think it's, well, at least in the book of Acts, you find it right there in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 1, you say? Chapter 1, verse 1. To whom did Dr. Luke address the, I would say here, the, at least the book of Acts, but we find out that he addressed both of his books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, to this individual mm-hmm. or, or this name. Then I want to ask this question. After Jesus, even before his resurrection, but then after, specifically after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples uh, to, he taught his disciples, he was with them for 40 days following his resurrection. And then he told them to stay in Jerusalem until something happened. Something that he had told them about even before his crucifixion. What was it that they were looking to see? I remember when I read these passages, Jacob, Jesus is almost giddy when he's talking to the disciples. He said, something is going to happen. I've got to go away. It's necessary that I leave, that I go away, because something exciting is going to happen. And so I'm wanting to ask you folks tonight, Jesus taught his disciples for 40 days. He told them to stay in Jerusalem until what happened? What was they supposedly waiting for there in Jerusalem? It's in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 in the book of Acts. I think that's a lot of questions out there right now. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, Eight, nine questions for you. That's a lot of questions. Yeah, it is. I hope if you remember at least one or two of them that you can answer, uh, give us a call, 340-9585, 340-9585, and we'll be glad to take that call, let you answer a question, and win some great prizes, and uh, we'll talk about the Bible, these, the Scriptures themselves, the message of the Bible. We were just talking earlier, Jacob and I. By the way, the phone number again, 340 340- Ninety-five, eighty-five. We were just talking, uh, Jacob and I, before the program about how unique it is that we actually have a program where you hear the Bible itself, not just a couple of verses and then somebody waxing eloquent or teaching our, you know, their favorite uh, teaching or ideas, but letting you hear the entire Bible, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every year, and then of course the opportunity here on Sunday evenings to uh, take it apart and and uh, talk about some of the verses, some of the things we've heard, and listen to it and share together about it. It's a unique experience, a unique opportunity we have right here in the Alamo City. And so I was I writing down a number. Us. What was that number again? 340-9585. Ah, great. Okay. We've got a caller already, Jacob. Hey, Tim. Tim is on the line. Hi, Tim. Hey, how you doing, Sophie? I am doing so well, and uh, just... Life is so good, Tim. I, I, every week I have to pinch myself at the wonderful ministry of the Lord lets us to carry out there at Lackland and hear reading the scriptures on the radio. It's just a thrill. I, good to hear from you again. I haven't heard in a while. How's everything going in your life? Hey, well, slowly but surely, everything, you know, is um, falling into place. Copacetic, as they say, right? Yeah, what, copacetic. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Is that Hebrew, Jacob, or not? <laughs> everything is everything. Is that, well, there you go. Well, let's hear. Did you hear a question? I got so much soul, I can't control. There you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm too anointed to be disappointed. There you go. Yeah, you're my, you're, uh, you're my <laughs> mother's brother and my sister's mister. I don't know. <laughs> you, my mother's brother and my sister's mister. Uh, uh, Psalm 76. Seven. I would just wanted to take a crack at that. Okay, let me give you the. There are two questions. One of them says the writer begins in emotional anguish. What was it that caused his distress? 
That's found in verse 10. And then the second question was, how did he overcome his depression? And it's from verse 11 on. So go ahead and let us know. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to kind of address both of those questions or just one of them. Uh, I'll, um, I'll see if I can, if I can tackle both of them. Okay. What caused his emotional anguish? Well, to... I, I started up at verse 7 because he, he felt rejected. You know, will the Lord reject forever? And, you know, will the Lord, will he never show his favor? And has his unfailing love vanished forever? Yes, and, okay. And he also mentioned, has his promise failed for all time? So he, so this person was feeling kind of, Kind of left out. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I'm looking at it here in my in my Bible as well. I think it's um, I, I like the psalmist because they just share their real feelings. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Mm-hmm. Will He never again be kind to me? Is His unfailing love gone forever? Have His promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He slammed the door on His compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Wow, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Uh, all, those are those are important questions. I don't know, Tim, have you ever felt anything like, have you ever asked yourself any of those kind of questions? Um, well, I, maybe not all of them, but, you know, sometimes when, when, when trouble comes upon you, sometimes you just, you know, and there doesn't seem to be an answer. Yeah, you wonder where are you, Lord? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, you got you know, it exactly um, right. That is the source of his depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he is—he feels uh, abandoned. He feels—he uh, doubts God's love and God's power or God's commitment to act on his behalf. And so he—and uh, it happens, you know—that we live in a sinful, fallen world. We still make mistakes ourselves, and so we sometimes we get down on ourselves and discouraged. And uh, this is a reality he's sharing. But let's go on to the rest of the question, though, is how does he overcome? That's the important thing. How does he overcome that depression? Yeah. Well, um, he, he, 11 through on, he was just talking about, you know, he'll remember the deeds of the Lord and, and also remember his miracles and, and meditate on his works, which a lot of times, that's what we have to do. We have to encourage ourselves sometimes and have to remember if the Lord brought you through one obstacle, then you should have the confidence to know that if he brought you through back then, he'll bring you through again. <laughs> so that's why you have to go back and remember what he did for you before. I remember your wonderful deeds of love mm-hmm. uh, of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works on our behalf. Oh, God, your ways are holy. And he he begins to recuperate that spirit of praise and thanksgiving and remembering how faithful God has been in the past. It's interesting that we talk about that. I, I appreciate you calling in about it because Jacob and I were talking before the program tonight about how important it is for us as believers uh, and particularly, I think, Christian believers, he was saying, because one thing that the, the Jewish people have in, in all of these uh, holidays and these remembrances, uh, you know, Passover and, and uh, um, Pentecost and these f- feasts that they celebrate, there's these constant reminders mm-hmm. of God's. And, and sometimes I don't think we as Christian believers, we don't we don't kind of celebrate our past. We don't celebrate the faithfulness of God uh, in our in our world and in our time. And, and 
I, I think he may have a point there that we need to meditate more often and learn the stories of Wycliffe and Tyndale and, and the heroes of the faith and the great missionaries of the past and, and, and let those stories encourage us even today when sometimes the, uh, the scene or the stage is a little more bleak. Jacob, you want to tell him a little bit? Yeah, what yeah, I'll 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 do that. Hello, Tim. Hey. Listen, Tim. Tomorrow is the thirty seventh day from Passover. Did you know that? <laughs> I, I I wasn't thinking about it at the moment. Well, I know, but over in East Texas, we seldom talk of anything else. No, I'm joking. But um, the uh, thirty seven days. Now, why is that important? Because you know Pentecost, right? We know Pentecost. Right. And that occurs, Pentecost is 50 days. 50 days after Passover. So the Jews, the same thing that happens in the New Testament, happened in the what you call the Old Testament. And we, the Jews count the days. And so tomorrow's the 37th day, which means we're going to keep counting till we get to what you would call Pentecost. Or in Hebrew, it's Shavuot. Well, what that means is... In the Old Testament, they got what happened? They got the Ten Commandments. What happened in the New Testament? Soapy, what'd they get? They received the Holy Spirit, Ah. initiated this new era of his dealings with God's people, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Soapy's talking about... We read about that in the first chapters of the book of Acts. We did. And uh, so you see, Tim, these days are important. And this is why the Jews, as Sophie was saying, keep track of this, because it gives you a background, it gives you substance to know who you are. Because if you don't know where you came from and right. what made you what you are, you don't, you don't exist today, and you have no wow. future. That really disturbs me just a little bit, Tim, because as we talk, I know some of these stories about, for example, about the Scriptures, about the Bible, about... Uh, the early era, the, the, the translations of the early church fathers as they came forward, the, the development of the scriptures as they come to us. And, and, but Jacob has just recently done some great exploration, some great research about the historicity and the accuracy of the New Testament, particularly the New Testament, as it's come forward to us in this era. And mm-hmm. that kind of study, I'm not sure how, how often we get that kind of uh, research and those kind of truths because they really do build us up in our faith. Tim, I want you to tell your name and address to uh, John, our our call screener tonight, and we're going to send you our gift package again for this coming uh, this coming month. All right? Thanks, Tim. Hey, and thank you, Tim. It was nice meeting you. Well, thank you, and God bless you. And, hey, y'all, hey, keep it up. Keep it up. We will, Tim. Thanks a lot, my friend. What a great pen. Thank you for joining us tonight, folks, for the Bible Live Quiz Show. We'll be right back. We're going to take a couple of moments to let you hear from some of our program supporters and uh, sponsors, and then we'll come back. 340-9585. Give us a call. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. 
Well, Elizabeth and I went to Express Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't expect to receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist, pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to the laptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. Hi, this is Baron Wiley and March 16th, 2000 was one of the greatest days of my life. That was one of ten days when I went to the Holy Land. One of ten days where I walked where my Savior walked, where I boarded a boat and floated through the Sea of Galilee, stood on the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed, walked through the Kidron Valley like Jesus did when he went up to Jerusalem. I touched the Western Wall and looked up to the sky and prayed where millions have been praying to God 24-7 for over 2,000 years. I stood where King David stood, where he overlooked the old city. And on that spot, on March 16, 2000, I proposed to my future wife, Shan, the most life-changing, unforgettable week of my life. My dear friend, join Alistair Begg, KSLR listeners like yourself and other believers the week of October 24, 2015, and experience Israel with Genesis Tours. Travel with comfort and ease, stay in four- and five-star hotels, and it's so true you will never read the Bible the same way again. Experience Israel this fall. All the details at KSLR.com. Amazing The sound that saved a wretch like me And I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see you're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Grace like a rain falls down on me. <laughs> that, I, you know, I was just telling somebody today about some of these musicians today. Well, not so much today, but there, we've in the past we've had an era where people had quirky voices. They weren't classically beautiful, powerful pure sort of tenor or alto or baritone voices, but they had quirky voices. I, I, mean, I thought of like Bob Dylan, hey, you know, or, or Willie Nelson, or or I remember an old fellow named Jimmy Durante who used to sing with this kind of a cracked old man type voice. 
And people used to love that. And uh, People used now, to have a distinctive voice, so when you heard them, yeah, you knew who you heard. Exactly. Well, this and guy today we just it's heard. all electronic, so that's all it is. I guess we don't have much of that today, but no. uh, everybody. And I like the beautiful, powerful, pure voices as well. But uh, it's so interesting that this fellow we just heard, hallelujah, he's got kind of one of those gravelly um, voices that I kind of admire well, it from well, time to time. It's what does hallelujah mean? It means praise the Lord. Ah, did I get it right? Yeah, well, okay. it's okay for English work. Uh, <laughs> what, ha- do you th- what do you think it means, hallelujah? Well, hell is three words. Are ha, el, el, God, right? Uh-huh. So it's praise, and it says, yeah. Yah, it translates, we translate it as Lord or God in English, but yah is the first pronounceable syllable of God's holy name in Hebrew. All right. So what you're actually saying is that particular God, praise Yah. The, oh, yeah, the true living God. I guess the the real God, the one who's there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what we're interested in, right? So, well, we are back. This is the Bible Live Quiz Show. Tim has called in. He's already answered, I guess, two of our questions tonight. I think tonight. Tim won. From the book of the Psalms, 77, uh, the writer was in emotional anguish because he doubted God's love, God's power, God's commitment to act on his behalf. And then, starting in verse 11, he begins to meditate on the faithfulness of God in the past, the stories of faith and victory, and they encouraged him and lifted him from the mire, lifted him out of his distress and uh, encouraged him. And so that's something we need to take into account. And we were talking to Jacob before we left for the break that there's something that uh, that is good about uh, and, and the whole the, the entire scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures are rehearsals of how faithful God has been to the people of Israel. Of course, it talks sometimes too about their failures and their struggles and their um, challenges in their life and as a nation and as individuals and their struggles with God. Um, and that just you know the, the reality, the truthfulness of the text. Uh, is is borne up there, I think, by those by those uh, by sharing both sides of their experience. But you're right. You have these festivals. You have these you know Passover, then Pentecost, and this festival and that festival. And there's this calendar that constantly reminds you. And of course, the scriptures here remind you of God's faithfulness to you as a people. We don't. You're right. We as as Christians, so many Christians don't understand that your history. The people of Israel in the in the history of God's dealings with you is our history. See, that's the catch. The folks that want to separate that and say the Old Testament, these yeah. Passover days, these other things, well, that's for the Jews. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that's Jews. It says those belong to God. Those belong to God. And if they belong to God, they belong to every human being that wants to honor They belong them. to God's yeah. people. Exactly right. And I think that's why I think, Jacob, I value so much your being here with me each weekend as we look at these scriptures. Is this the right time to ask for a raise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime's the right time because it, more or less the answer is going to be, sure, I'll double your salary. This Starting this coming week, your salary is doubled. Uh-huh. And, and uh, there you go. Uh-huh. We, we're off and run. But anyway, this idea that, that we, that we, uh, our past is called uh, this. This book records the history and, and of God's involvement with His people throughout history. And Christians, we we have to begin to see our roots. That we go back. That you know, we're not. If from the point of view of God, I'm convinced there is no boundary here. There's no Old Testament then New. 
I mean, I understand the idea of it. If it helps us communicate fine with each other, or what we've gotten used to calling this different parts of the of the scriptures, it doesn't bother me. But I, what I guess does bother me is this mindset that that we are cut off and fresh and new. We're cut off from all that God has done before. And that's just not true. It's one continuing saga, one continuing uh, story of of the of the of God's involvement in in human history and His involvement with His people. I will be their God; they will be my people. That's what it's all well, about. You know, one thing the that beginning. Christians do: the Christians, more than anybody else in the world, they build the hospitals, they build the charity, uh, they they help people. You know, you ever notice that certain parts of the world, and I'll name it, it's frankly, in the Muslim world, they really don't help people. Like when there was a great uh, tsunami, uh, not, they really, they, they kind of had to be urged and coaxed by America to even give like a million bucks. But America came to the rescue, and they didn't ask, are you a Christian? They came and they helped. That's one of the really, really admirable traits of Christians. They've got the heart of God. They know how to act. And, what, and they do have that, more so than anybody else. Well, it's so crucial that we have that background. And we could easily lose that in, if we don't get discover, rediscover our roots, rediscover where we came from. Do you know that, why? That we're acting out of the character. And the, the, history is his story. It's yeah. the story of God's involvement yeah. with his people. And we need to... We need in, to know that it, this week in Israel on the Temple Mount, where the uh, the Muslim mosque is, uh-huh. of course, uh-huh, the you know there's a, they they have a the Muslims have a law that nobody, no Christian, no Jew can pray on the mountain, except the Muslims. Now that's rather odd, but they have they have prayer police, you might say. Well, this week a young Jewish man was praying and he was arrested. There. Now, at that place? Yes. You, you're not, by the Muslim law, you're not allowed to even say a prayer there. Now, that's very odd. But And let me tell you something. Else. Why do you think it's so what important? What happened to him? Do we know yet? Oh, no, I don't know. But he'll, he'll be released, you know. Uh-huh. But you're not allowed to pray. That's the important thing. Yeah. The other thing is, why do you think it's so important? See, the Muslims understand something that Christians really haven't got a hold of. The Jews got the idea because they're the victim of it. But they know. This is why they, they find all these artifacts. They hide them. They destroy them. They don't want any proof that there was ever really a Jewish temple up there because they know the Muslims understand if you destroy somebody's past, they don't exist. And there is no future. So if I can destroy your past, you don't exist. And they've got that down. They understand that. That's why they always, when they find stuff, they don't preserve it and say, look what we found. They destroy it. That way they want to eliminate any trace that the Jews were ever there. That's the purpose. Well, maybe that's another reason why we definitely must pay attention to this book called the Bible. And it's so important that we're reading the Bible actually literally verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the entire book on the airwaves. Because if we lose sight of it, that's our history. That's that's where we came from. It is your history. But the problem is, if you read it without knowing the setting and the history and what was going on, Uh then what happens is it becomes a new story every time you tell it. Now, that sounds attractive, but you are reinventing it every time you don't have your connection directly to the past. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that's very – it's both things. It's fresh and new. But it's fresh and new because we're building on the foundation. We can have it has uh, credibility. It has it has uh, strength 
because we know we're not inventing something brand new, that we are building on a foundation of God's faithfulness and the experiences of others who have gone before us. And, it, yeah, there, there's, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And so uh, that's why we read the Bible. That's why we read it on the air. That's why we give that as a priority. You're not interested in what Soapy Dollar thinks and says. I mean, I can say a sermon. I can maybe teach here and there. And, and I do from time to time. But mainly what we need, and I think in our era, is to be reminded of this book and to to go back to and we enjoy this privilege, Jacob, that believing people or God's people in in centuries past they didn't have so many uh, credible, accurate copies of the Scripture at their disposal. Where every home in San Antonio, Bible, I suspect, Bible has a Bible that somewhere. Christians, yes, the Bible that Christians have today is by far. The most accurate and reliable Bible that Christians have had in, in their hands in centuries. And there's a long, colorful history, and I've been doing a lot of research on it. But I, I've become really impressed with the struggles of some very fine people. And if they hadn't done those struggles, you wouldn't have the Bible you have. And I, and actually, I oh, I love to hear the stories you tell about. They really encourage me. It's so me. fascinating because the Bible would not be what you have. I told I mentioned a guy named Lineacre last week. Lineacre was a Swedish professor. He was commissioned to go down to, into Italy and meet with uh, some Greek refugees that had copies of the old Greek scriptures. What we talk about, mid-1500s? Uh, 1500s. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he went down, and he read them because he could read Greek. And he wrote back, and it's in his diary, and they, it still exists. And he wrote back in, in, in his diary and said, either these are not the Christian scriptures or we are not Christians. And it's, and because the, the the documents the the text had become so corrupted, is corrupted that the idea? is the word. Yes, what happened when Jerome translated it from 382? He did a great job. Jerome did, and after over the next decades, frankly, some uh, not, I'm not blaming the Catholic Church as a whole, but there are some very very dishonest people that would make translations, and there was several different copies of what was called the Bible, the Vulgate. And so you didn't know which one was accurate. So all through the struggles, that what happened is they went back to the Greek. And when they started bringing it down from the Greek, and many of the Bibles we have today, the Christians have, are Bibles that are actually kind of jumped over the Catholic Church's time. And the Catholic Church has some fine Bibles, too. I'm not criticizing that. But what happened is they've gone back and translated them more accurately and more fairly. And I've got to say... Directly from the original languages, from the, the Hebrew original and the Greek. Greek uh-huh. Because, and this is important to remember, that in the year 400 A.D., uh-huh. the New Testament, New Testament was in over 500 languages. But by the year 500 A.D., a century later, a, a century later, it was reduced to only one language, and that language was Latin. In other words... Only people that could do Latin could read the Bible or teach the Bible or have any ability to even know what it said. And if I am I is my memory and understanding of history isn't that something like what helped introduce what is called the Dark Ages? It was you know that was the Dark Ages actually yeah. from about 500 A.D. to about 1400 A.D. was known as the Dark Ages. And then with the beginning of the trend. And I'm not trying to over-dramatize the importance of the translation of this book, 
But the ideas of this book, the the, the worldview of the Bible, this positive, hopeful, uh, optimistic worldview of a good and loving God and, and a just God, the, the reality that it pictures, it has an impact. It changes the world. And so when that message beginning perhaps in the uh, 1400s, the middle of the 1400s is when Gutenberg's press was created or invented, uh, 1456, I believe it was, somewhere in there. And from that point on, as people started going back, the Tyndales, the, the Wycliffs, the, and the stories that Jacob tells so well, this uh, even this Leinecker fellow, all of that was part of coming out of what is called the Dark Ages, right? It was part of the Enlightenment coming out. It of, is. Do you know who Horace Greenlee was? Yes, I've heard a lawyer, right? Well, he owned some newspapers and he was a publisher. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm he was the, of a he's the one for, for, that made the famous statement, "Go west, young man." Yeah, go west. Yes, uh, I, I do know he, who he is. He yes. also said this. He said, "A Bible reading public can never be slaves physically or mentally." And what's happened is, is that we are sadly in America becoming so disconnected. And I, I, I'm not trying to. Uh, Pontificate or uh, say anybody. Be overly dramatic, yeah, I get it. But what happens is, I hear people all the time say they're going to teach verse by verse. And I find that's not anything near to it. They'll pick one verse out of context and then go off on these stories. They make it personalized. And you see, in the Jewish world, especially in the Orthodox world, if I were to come up to some rabbi and say, well, okay, I think this means this, he'll say, oh, that's very interesting. And whoever thought of that before you? And tell me how that ties into the Torah and how does that tie into the passage. Then I will listen to what you're saying. That's pretty good. I like that. They need to hold us accountable. That's what that's what God called you folks to do is hold us accountable well, and be and, and that's why teach us that word. That's why, teach for us example, the during the break we were talking about Pentecost means fifty days. Yeah. So we got we got to know it means fifty days. Well where in the text does it say fifty days? As I read it from a Jewish point of view, Jesus we know Jesus was walking around after the resurrection, it says right in the text, mm-hmm. forty days. How long was he in the ground? Three days. Now, I understand we're doing a little research, and there's some question about this, but as I read it, uh-huh. it says something was a Sabbath day journey. Sabbath day would be seven days. So you get seven plus three plus 40, 50 days. And Pentecost, bingo. I get what you're meaning by a Sabbath day's journey. Is that you were, I was thinking what you meant is one day's journey. No, 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 no. But you're talking about a seven. Yeah, it'd be seven. Because seven days because journey. Because the Jews generally did not travel uh, on I the see. Sabbath. Yeah, so, there is a little bit of a problem with that because that the, the actual distance is estimated to be anywhere from a half a mile well, to Well, no, something. let's be honest with you. Some Christian scholars estimate that. Yeah, that, okay. And, I, and I'm very being very honest. They may be right. I think they're wrong because otherwise we don't have 50 days and it's not Pentecost. But... As I read it with a Jewish frame of reference, Sabbath day journey is a fairly under, uh, demarcation of Jews traveling because they know I can travel from sunset Saturday till sunset Friday. Okay, so so it's seven. Oh, days. I get it. I, and you're talking about the the, the Pentecost, the uh, fifty days being right. from the time of the ascension to the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Passover. The Passover, the time of the crucifixion, yes. to the time we of the know. Of the well, I was, I, I see, but Jesus' ascension okay, so evidently occurred somewhere around forty days during that period. That would have up. had to occur a couple of days prior to 
the Holy Spirit coming down. Right. Because in the Old Testament, of course, the Ten Commandments come down on the same day that the book of Acts record the Holy Spirit coming all right, down. All right. Okay. But, now, somewhere I think it identifies that period of time that Jesus was with his disciples as 40 days. Oh, it's in, it's in the text. It says actually 40 days. Okay. And then we, but then how do we come up with 50? Yeah. But here's the important thing. So you have to ask yourself, since the date of, there's no dates given. But we know that we're given in the text as well that the Holy Spirit, we say, I don't like to use that phrase, the coming of the Holy Spirit, because it makes people think that the Holy Spirit's never been here before right. and he, Finally got here. Okay. Well, the Holy Spirit's always been here. He's God. He's everywhere, present at all times. But we're talking about this fresh, new beginning of a new era of the time of the yeah. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, that's fine. That but happened when, in Acts but chapter 2. How but, do we know when the 50 days are? See, this that is happened the, at Pentecost. Yeah. Okay. But so how do you know? If you don't know what the Christians refer to as the Old Testament, Jews call the Tanakh, if you don't know the date, then you have no idea when this occurred. Right. But I will tell you, Passover is in the book of Acts. I'm sorry, the book of Exodus, chapter 12. You have the date given. So we know if he was, Jesus was crucified on Passover, we know the exact date because it says it in chapter 12 of Exodus. From there, we know 50 days. And it says, actually says in Exodus, you shall count for yourself 50 days. And the Jews do. And if that same system holds, because he would have been crucified on a date that we know, but we only mm -hmm. know that date because of it's in Exodus. Now, what's interesting is, on Shavuot, when the Ten Commandments were given, and in Acts, when Pentecost is, there's no date given. But even in the Old Testament, the book of Acts, there's no date. There is no date when the Ten Commandments are given. It only tells us 50 days later. Why is that? Because that way we must always get the Ten Commandments associated with Passover so they can never be separated. You must always know Passover so that you know when your 50 days are. <laughs> so that way you connect them always. Isn't that something you mentioned to me? They call those 50 days the counting of the Omer? Or yeah, something? It's, kind of, it's a little uh, container. Was that, a, that, was that a way that the Jews had? Yeah, a container of bread. Uh -huh. And they would, they would use that as a way to keep track yes. of those uh -huh. days, right? Sure. And so it's fascinating is that you... And that's the important thing is that was written so well that you can never separate Passover from in the book of Acts, getting the Holy Spirit or in the Exodus, uh, getting the Ten Commandments. You can never separate the two because you'll never know what will happen. In fact, we talked about the Romans at the beginning of the show. The Romans had some laws that they did implement. The Babylonians had these rules for the Jews, too. One is they could not circumcise their children. They could not have the Torah, and they could not have a Jewish calendar. Not, and those were death penalties. Why? Wow. Because they knew if they had their own calendar, they'd know when to remember these things happened. And they would remember their past, and they would, yes. and, and everything that comes with that, you begin to identify. So I, I am yeah. on a mission. I want the Christians to know their own dates. Yeah, it's so very, very important to us, and uh, that's it's right there in the book, folks. We need to rediscover who we are as God's people and and find our roots and see that we come out of this great book, the Bible, what we call the old, the old testament and the new. They're one continuing work of the God's dealings with His people, and we are part of that. We are grafted in. To the people of God, you know, you the know, people of Israel. It's so important. It is not one of your questions tonight. Yeah, well, it was one of your questions. Uh huh. Uh, we didn't. You didn't pick that one. So, but what's interesting? It talks about casting lots. 
Remember? Where oh. is that? Well, that's in. Uh, oh, I see that. It's in. Um, uh, it was in the, the. There were a couple of places. Well, it's. Uh, see, I think it's in 126 of Acts. Oh, yes, exactly. When they were replacing the uh, replacing Judas Iscariot uh-huh. as a part of the right. discipleship, the twelve. Right. They replace. They cast lots to find who was the replacement. And why is that important? Well, what's interesting, if you say to anybody today, why were they casting lots? And say, oh, well, that's the way, you know, they were, it was just a luck, chance, drawing, that kind of stuff. If that's what's going on, then we have a real problem because they're relying on luck and gambling. That's not <laughs> yeah. what it is. Probabilities, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but that's not what it is. Okay, well, tell me what it is. Let's, it ask, is. let's, yeah. ask, let's that? ask that question, yeah. by the way. Okay. Judas Iscariot had committed suicide. So the disciples prayed and cast lots for his replacement. Mm-hmm. Who did they choose as an apostle with the other 11? And, and that's in our English, in Acts Erdus 1.26. Says Matthias, but in, in Hebrew it would be Matthiahu. Right. And so, why the lots? Because the, you'll find a reference to it, a great reference in the Proverbs 16.33. Okay. And I know you got a call, so let's... Take the call, then we'll go back. Okay, well, let's bring Harold, doesn't mind. He'll be a part of our discussion. Harold, how are you tonight? I'm doing okay. I thought I'd take a leap of faith and uh, jump in the middle of that, that conversation with all the spirits and Holy Ghost and faith and everything like all right. that. All right. Well, let's go run over to Proverbs 16.33. Really? Jacob just me- uh, mentioned it. What is it you're going to say, Jacob? Well, if you'll read Proverbs 16.33, 1633 uh-huh. you'll see why that gives us a real keen understanding of what drawing lots is about okay it's not gambling it's not rolling until i get what i want Look the lots the had to be designed a certain way they had to have something from hebrew which i'm not going to say on the lots and you you would roll them and then but why don't you read 1630 see it. see it we may throw the dice or we may cast lots yes but the lord determines how they fall ah <laughs> okay. Now in the Jewish, now tell the people in Las Vegas about that. <laughs> uh, well, they don't have God the stuff from the Hebrew on there, so it doesn't count. That's not their faith. No. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe a lot of them are thinking, "Come on, Lord, please." Well, there may be seven. there may be some praying going on. Yeah, but, I suppose so. But the point is, is that it has a certain thing on the lots, and it wasn't the casting of the lots that's important. It was the message that was important. So you would do the physical act. But is this just some antiquated idea by old people that just didn't know how to make decisions? Or was there something that they understood? And what they were understanding is God would select it. If you want to see the same type of thing that goes on, it goes on in the book of Esther. Haman. He cast lots to decide what day was auspicious to kill the Jews. Mm-hmm. And he, but what he kept doing was he kept rolling and rolling and rolling until he got the date he wanted. <laughs> but what he failed to know, that date was also it was Moses, the day Moses died. And he knew uh-huh. that. But he didn't know that was also the day Moses was born. And so it was life. And so what you're looking at, this idea of casting lots, is not just something that says, how are we going to decide? Well, let's cast lots. It's it's something very, very holy, and it was understood to mean that the message was from God, but you had to do some role in this. And I'm making a pun about role. Role, yeah, I get it. Well, you know, another thing about that, Harold, you can jump in as well, but I wanted to mention that in most cases that I can think of, when the casting of the lots was, was used by God's people, 
it wasn't some sort of a wild cashing the lots in a total blank uh, that, you know, uh, usually it had already been narrowed down to certain alternatives that, that were maybe both acceptable in light of God's will and in light of what God was telling them. And they were at a, they didn't know between, it wasn't like carte blanche, you know, here, tell us what to do and we don't have any idea. It was usually coming down to, well, is it going to be Matthias or is it going to be this other fellow? I've forgotten the other fellow's name there in the book of Acts. But there was, it was between two guys. It wasn't How just sort easy of, you forget. I know. What was his <laughs> no. name? You but, know his name. Well, I'm going to tell you, you want to see another one? Just a digress. Does that help? No, is that, is that a, yes, sure. a good idea? That yeah. it wasn't just sort of. No. Out of the blue, but yes. it was always usually narrowed down already before. Oh, see, we're getting music. We are. Harold, so hang on, hang on. Harold won't go away, will you, Harold? Oh, no, I'll be right here. All right, buddy. We're Wait glad to have, have you on the, the Bible Live quiz show with us. And we hope you'll stay with us, folks, through this break, this brief break. And we've got a half hour left to be with you. We've got some questions out on the airwaves that you can call in and answer. Uh, like Tim did earlier, like Harold is now. We'll discuss those with you, give you a chance to win some great prizes. 340-9585. Maybe you'd like to weigh in and maybe give a thought or two about the importance of the Scriptures to our lives as believers, that foundation that we lay. 340-9585. We'll be right back. You've been faithful before, you'll be faithful again. Uh, that's uh, what we've been talking about here on the Bible Live Quiz Show as we've looked at two great works of history. One are the books of First and Second Kings in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the old, what we call the Old Testament. When we say the Old Testament, we're not saying it in any way uh, deriding or uh, berating or belittling those 39 books that we call the Old Testament, they are God's Word, the Scriptures. They are as relevant and important and viable to us as the rest of the Scriptures as well. All of the Scripture, the entire Bible, from start to finish, Old and New Testaments. We're just, well, I guess the old, whole idea of Old Testament New came, came from the idea of one is newer in terms of historic revelation than the other. But there's no, there's no sense of one is better than the other. That is not, uh, they, they flow out of each other and in back toward each other, the, in and out. This is one great work of God. And we've read the book of First uh, and Second Kings, and now we're coming to the book of Acts. Both of those portions of Scripture are are works of history. They're telling us something about our foundations as God's people, telling us something about where we come from, uh, the, the, the experiences that people who went before us had, and that we stand on their shoulders. We live our lives come out of their experience and what they learned about God and wrote for our edification. So it, it, we're talking about that a lot tonight here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. You can join us in that theme, talk about it, uh, just as Harold has done. He's called in, and we're going to visit with him a moment. Let him kind of talk to us about how he what he thinks about this idea of of how important it is for us as God's people. Christians or, or, or Jewish people, those who follow and seek after the true and living God and, and, and trust in Him and are, are seeking to, to uh, receive by faith His salvation, the redemption He's made possible for us through the Messiah. Uh, we need that background. Harold, talk to us a little bit about uh, how, what you've been hearing and what thoughts it triggered in your yeah, own mind. Talk, talk to us, Harold. Your own experience. Yeah, well, that's exactly the thought. Um, that uh, That's the reason I called and 
The reason, I mean, the thing that you said that we look at the Bible from start to finish as one continuous uh, word, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Gospels, and and you know, I'm I'm glad I had that that time with the commercial because it kind of calmed me down a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> uh oh, Harold's gonna lay it down the law. Give it to us, brother. <laughs> well, well, I'm in a difficult point in my life, I guess, and. You know, we say that very nice on the radio, and I know this is a, uh, a station where we learn things, and it's not picking on anyone, but um, sometimes when I talk to people, if I'm in a Bible study or I'm on another radio show, and the person will tell me, well, that sounds a little bit too uh, like like Hebrew. That sounds a little bit Jewish. And then, or I'm in another group, and they say, you sound like a Christian. Well, you see, this is the problem we have. Yeah, we do. You know, because why, and, and these are opposites telling me this, and and I'm not even worried about people telling me things, because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really the problem. But why is it that we can't have the Holy, uh, say Holy, not maybe not the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Spirit of God in the Hebrew Scriptures, and why do can we not act a certain way because it might look like or feel like we're belong to the gospel type people and i think I think both ends are suffering and yeah. and I feel like I'm kind of lacking a little bit and prayer you know I believe that prayers I believe in prayer Amen. and uh first Timothy two verse one says for prayer is the first thing yeah. that we're supposed to do. First and foremost, I desire the first and prayer foremost, be made for go. people in leadership and kings and, yeah, those who have authority over us, and then for all men, it says, yeah. Well, it's hard for me to hear sometimes when someone says, well, you know, these names on a prayer list, we really don't believe those are going to be answered. You know, um, I'm just going through some different uh, changes and things like that. Well... Don't be discouraged, Harold. Don't be discouraged. Uh, it is a difficult era we live in. It's a difficult time. But there there are lots of men and women of prayer, intercessors. Just this last week was uh, an observance of the National Day of Prayer here in our own country. And yes, I remember that. Hundreds of people gathered down on the steps of City Hall on Thursday in a wonderful time of prayer. And we, this was our 30th anniversary. 30 years we've been gathering for that special time of intercession and prayer. And I think there, you don't see that distance. We don't see that wall, that barrier. People of God gathering from all the different backgrounds and denominations and uh, titles and names that we might have on the labels on our bottle. But the inside, the, on the inside, there is that consistency. There's that oneness of we are we are the people of God. We're seeking the true and living God, the God of the Scriptures. And I, there is some movement toward that. I believe that we are to be discovering. As Christian believers, we're discovering that we are, in fact, part of the nation of Israel. We are we're coming out. We're grafted in to God's work with His people. Uh, we we are you know we have become as well part of that story, part of the people of God. And I, I think, and I'm hopeful that many, many thousands and perhaps even millions of of Jewish folk are seeing. Ah, oh, you know, we may have misjudged that first century rabbi. He maybe have done more to open up. Uh, humanity to the true and living God than any anyone, you know. There there could be something to this that w- that we're missing. 
that we've missed uh, historically that we need to we need to see that link between what God told us and revealed to us over the centuries. And I'd now. like to ask Harold a question. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question, but go ahead. Okay, Harold, before yes. you had the break and you calmed down, if you hadn't had the break and chance to calm down, what were you going to say? <laughs> he wants to hear what you were going to say. Oh, I was going to say, I'm saying what's on my heart now. That's, that's uh, you know, my mind has calmed down a little yeah. bit. But, um, so, be, so, so what would you think, you know, what would your feelings be, you know, Jesus, is you know the son of god uh rabbi he's you know the jesus that we all know in the new testament yes and he's the messiah that's what i'm looking for so what what would you think of if there is a messiah in every generation and this is the messiah for this generation and i don't mean a generation of a hundred years i don't know what the time limit would be Mm -hmm. on a generation of people and you and you have to think about it you know jesus did open some eyes. No doubt about it. Yeah. You know, he did open some eyes and he did make an awareness that everyone is supposed to, you know, is God is for everyone. Right. Not just for the Jewish people. And, and, and I believe he was trying to get everyone to see that. I think you're right, Harold. And Jacob has helped me to see this. And I think if there's a truth to it, I'll answer your question very, I think there have been other messiahs. Now, with, Maybe with a small M, maybe Jesus would be that ultimate final picture, the, the big M. You know, Let's say he is. M. That's fine. I'm fine but, with it. But yes, there was. There was. Let me see. Who? I don't know. What, what, was uh, Seth in some way a Messiah after J, uh, 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 the two children of uh, Cain and Abel? Cain after Cain killed Abel, was Seth seen in some way as a kind of a? A redeemer, a Messiah, the back to the people. One of, of the yes, maybe one of the, Noah, one of the Joseph, common phrases. Moses, all, uh, Daniel, all of these men and women in some way served as a Messiah, as a redeemer. Isn't that true, Jacob? Oh yeah, yeah. We we learn, okay, from a Jewish point of view, we learn from each one of these Messiahs, shall we say, uh, um, some characteristic or some trait of where, what we are expected to see in the Messiah. For example, you, you, believe it or not, that throughout history, not, not now, but back in Jesus' time, they had even called, refer to people as being a son of Seth. Oh, and, really? Yes. So that was a kind of a common phrase because Seth was a righteous guy, so you're a son of Seth. He was and, the recuperating of the yeah, godly lineage yeah, from uh, Adam and yes, Eve, yes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that, that all was there, sure. So I, I think... I, I, I have come to believe that that is true, that the, the idea of a Messiah was not uh, uncommon, that there were redeemers and saviors, and that there were cycles of these that God used, these men and women is particularly. Now, in terms of, uh, of Jesus being the ultimate, the, the redeeming, the, the savior, the one who came and fulfilled uh, it took upon him, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And as you mentioned before, son of God, um, God incarnate, God who became a man to walk out in this ultimate experience of Messiah. I, 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 I don't know that I would look for another Messiah after Jesus in, in that sense. Uh, there may be other saviors, other people who come along. Who knows? Maybe God used Billy Graham or Dr. Bill Bright or other great Christians of our era. Maybe they have served a humongous purpose as well in the overall plan of God, and in some sense we could think of them as 
messiahs or saviors of their era, faithful men and women. Uh, I, I guess, am I rambling a little bit too much, Harold? I kind of oh, go no. with, I kind of no, go with what not. you're saying, and, uh, but I, I still want to reserve in my mind that Jesus was that ultimate, that ultimate Messiah who carried out that unique redemptive plan, that unique redemptive work that he carried out and on I the cross. And I think he is, and this is the, this is that generation. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. So my other question is, um, I've noticed, you know, like Sobe, uh, when you pray, you say, let us pray. And and I wonder if Jacob would uh, expand on in the <laughs> Jewish thought. Uh, I didn't mean to say it that way. I don't know how it's going to come out. But in the Jewish thought, it seems to come across as a, a blessing. It's, you know, um, and are the prayers, do people believe that they're praying to a God? You know, because I do know in Christianity they do believe they're praying directly to Jesus. Actually talking to God, yeah. I, I, I love your question because I've often wondered that myself, not only uh, about, of course, Jewish folk and when they pray, you know, because often they're reading a prayer, they're reciting a blessing. Or, and I've often wondered about when I see all those men and women bowing down, you know, uh, Muslims bowing down in, in their, on their prayer, uh, uh, what do you call it, prayer rugs and so on. I'm wondering in my mind, I wonder what they're saying. Are they are they actually praying in the sense that we think of prayer as actually talking with God and communing with God? Or is it memorizing and just kind of uh, reciting learned passages? Now, I'm, I'm not against that because there are passages of Scripture that sometimes I can pray and they're very inspiring and inspirational. But I well, tell to that, Jacob, a little bit about the, well, the I, Jewish... I would I, not be I, able I, to answer about... Pass? Can I pass Harold on to John? Uh, I don't know. Harold, uh, are yeah. you all set, or do you want to say something else? Oh, no, I'm fine. All right. I'm going to pass you on to John. We want to take that information again for you, Harold. All and right. Thank you. And, and, but keep listening, because I'm going to get Jacob to address the question that you just asked. What uh, about prayer? Well, the Jews, of course, pray. And, uh, and Harold is In the right. sense that we're talking about, uh, actually talking with God? And yes. They, well, like like Tevi and, and Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah. God, I know we're your chosen people, right. but why do you always choose us? That sort of thing. May I point out one thing about Tevi and Fiddler on the Roof? If I were a rich man, <laughs> you would Now, but you know what? People don't catch in that. What? Listen closely to the song. If you ever hear the song, he says, Oh, I'd like to be a rich man. I have one staircase going up and one coming down. Uh, but then, why? He tells you why. So he can go sit with the scholars and learn the Torah. Uh, that's great. That's what the rest of the song that's right. is. I do remember that, yeah. So he doesn't want to be rich just to be rich. He wants so he can, he can support his family and go learn more about God and the Bible. Uh, that's wonderful. And he like wants that. to pray. Good. And, and the Jews do say, bless God, Baruch. And so what's fascinating is um, you think, how could you bless God? How do you bless God? Bless means to make happy. or Well. Right. I would say you bless idea? God by following what he asks you to do. You bless your mother and father by Obeying doing what they ask yes. you. Uh-huh. So in the Jewish thought, I'm blessing you, God, because by my actions. I like that. Don't have any problem with it whatsoever. That, uh, it, that's, I, I, I like that a lot. Let's go now. Who, is, who we got on the line, John? Um, Austin, I think. Oh, yes. Austin is joining us. Hi, Austin. Hi. Are you with us? Glad to hear your voice. 
Hi, uh, I'm not sure where to start. Uh, <laughs> there were a couple of questions I thought I might know the answers to and uh, an idea I had for your show and Excellent. some comments I had. Good. Uh, let's take, generally speaking, do you remember, the, I've got the list of questions in front of me. What Do you remember, generally speaking, what the questions were about? Yeah, I remember one was about uh, who Luke was addressing and something about a guy being thrown into a cave. Oh, great question. Oh, good one. Both of those are good questions. Who did Luke, Dr. Luke address both of his books to a certain name? And we ask also not only the name, but do you happen to know what the name means? So who did Dr. Luke well, write his books he to? Was, I believe he was addressing Theophilus. Yes, indeedy. You got it exactly right. And I'm going to have to guess at the meaning of the name as being a lover of God. Yes, indeed. You got it exactly right. right. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and we Theophilus, uh, phileo is the idea of brotherly or kindred love, friendship love, and uh, a friend or lover of God. Theophilus is the exact right answer for both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The other question was... Um, what was it, Jacob? The one about well, throwing a body in there with somebody. Oh, once some Israelites. I, it's found in Second uh, Kings chapter thirteen, Austin. Thirteen twenty-one. Some Israelites, uh-huh. they're out having uh, observing a funeral, and all of a sudden they're set upon by these Moabites who came and attacked them, and in their haste to get away, they throw the body that they're having this funeral for. They throw it, and it happened to throw it in historically or into this historic tomb or, or of the burial place of Elisha. They throw the body in there, and an amazing or surprising thing happened. What was it? I think it was like uh, the guy returned to life, and it might have been like maybe the 32nd miracle of Elisha. And that might have been like the double the, double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Oh, interesting detail there. Very, well, very good. Okay, Let, Austin, let's explore. But you, you got it right in yes. terms of what it you was, win. what happened. Yeah, he gets prizes. Okay, go Jacob. Uh, okay, all right. Thank oh, yeah, you. I heard him sneeze. Snort. That was a snort, Austin. Right, very man. good. Okay. Hey, by the way, uh, if you ever go out with a girl and your nose start to run, you might think it's cute, but it's not. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I feel bad now. All, all right, right, Jacob. And if your uh, nose ever goes on strike, you know what you do? You pick it. Oh, uh, my lads. Okay, okay, enough of that. All right, listen, going back to throwing this body in here. Let me ask you a question. Who, All right. what kind of, let's say, nationality or religious thought or beliefs was this guy who his body got thrown in there with? Uh, oh, Washington. you think we know who the funeral was for? Well, we we know who what country he's from. Who had died? Yes, we know what oh, country he's from. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, Austin? Wow. Uh, How about I if I read know. it to you? Okay. What does it say? Sure. Austin, would you like to hear it, Austin? Sure. Yes, I would. Okay. Actually, we're talking. It's, it's 1321, but in uh-huh. verse uh, 1320, it says, Elisha died and was buried. Now, listen closely. Bands of Moabites used to invade the land when each year arrived. 21. Once a man was being buried, and the people saw a band of the Moabites, and they threw the body of a, into Elisha's tomb. And he got up, and of course, the man's body, and he ran away after he touched the bones of Elisha. Now, 
was this guy a good guy? Is that why he came back to life? Or is this guy, is there more to the story that we're not catching? What's your thoughts? Well, I'm guessing it was I'm more to the story. I'm thinking that you think there's more to the story. <laughs> you know what? You get the prize again. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. We both had kind of hedging our bets with our response there, but okay. We're, yeah. Tell us tell yeah, us what's look, on your uh, mind what there. What we got here is this is not a good guy. This is a – they're All invading right. a land. These are invaders, and he dies, and they throw his body in there? Come on. So The Moabites mm-hmm. are, are invading, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Israelites are burying this person, so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha. So you're saying the corpse belonged to a person who was not a good person? Yeah, I am suggesting that. Okay. Now, if he's not a good person, what we're getting here, if I may be so bold, is you might have something that the Christians could identify with as sort of like, because uh, I know in a Christian understanding there's possibly a resurrection for the and then judgment of good and bad. You know, isn't there something like that, Sophie? Uh, uh, Austin, help me out. I, I, you mean the resurrection at the end of time? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Well, what you're looking at is a picture. If this is a bad guy, did he get to live again? Is that what's going on? No. Let's suggest that Elisha is very holy. That's what the story is telling us. No matter whether we agree or don't agree, right. the story tells us That's that. the context, yes. And here is a bad guy. He touches the bones of Elisha. He brings him back and he jumps up and he runs away. Now, why does he run away? He says he jumps to his feet. I don't see it says he runs away, but okay. Uh, your, your idea he is he jumps Elisha's up and bones. ran away. Well, and he ran away because the Moabites are there and he's going to kill him again, right? Uh, well, I don't know about all that, but look oh, what it okay. says. It says... Uh, they touched Elisha's bones, they revived it, he stood up, and he ran away. Anyway, but, so, here's the catch. You think maybe he ran away because he didn't want to be near a holy guy? You got it! Austin, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Way to go, Austin, good <laughs> guess. Yeah, because that's what it's All about. Right. The, he couldn't, he had, uh, the old idea is that a, a wicked person, cannot bear to be in the presence of a righteous person. Oh, that's the story. That's the lesson, right? That's the lesson. And so, as it says in 21, it says there was a man. They saw a band of Moabites. They threw the body into Elisha's tomb and ran away. When the man's body touched Elisha's bones, it revived and stood up. Then ran away. See, the problem is that we know these guys were bad because what are they doing? Well, we know the story historically of Moabites. We got that. But we also got, we're being told right there that they're invading the lands. So, these so are, you think this corpse belonged to a Moabite person? Yes. Huh? In fact, let me tell you that the historical understanding is the reason it is actually Austin hit it. it he could not, he touched the the bones of a righteous person, uh-huh. and he's not a righteous person. So he had to get up at least long enough to get away from a righteous person so he couldn't be in his presence. That's why he couldn't be in that tomb. He touched his bones, and he got up and ran away. And that's the idea of what we're being taught is. is if you like to, you can apply this as a thought of, like, judgment after death even, uh-huh. something like that that fits into the Christian understanding, the Christian paradigm. And so what you've got is you got this guy running away because he can't be in the presence of righteousness. So that's the point. Or maybe that was uh, being God made. didn't want him there. 
Well, okay, God didn't want him there, and I can't deny that because certainly God would have assisted Elisha in making Elisha holy. But the truth is, too, that it, it the lesson that we probably yeah. historically ought to be getting out of this is that he, if he had been righteous, he'd have thrown in there, he may or may not have come back, but he wouldn't have got away from him. But he cannot be in the presence of such holiness. Interesting, interesting. Well, I've always found this particular, it's sort of parenthetical. It's put in there. Elisha gives his final prophecy about uh, how the God is going to preserve the people from the Arameans. And uh, <coughs> and he's disappointed in the king because uh, jo, uh, Jehoash doesn't pick a big enough number. And, and uh, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will only be a victorious three times because he hit the arrows on the ground only three times. So we get this final prophecy of Elisha. And then it says Elisha has died and was buried. And then almost kind of parenthetically, this little story, groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. And as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. And so we have this, this little, and then it goes on to tell the story about King Hazael of Aram and so on. So it's almost stuck in there. And, and it kind of makes sense to me, Jacob, what you're saying is that maybe it's stuck in there. It's, it's saying parenthetically, by the way, this, this guy Elisha was a righteous man and he's maybe using this picture to, to contrast the idea that it's something like what you're saying. I, I've often wondered. It, it, it well, seems sort of stuck I, what in I, there. What I'm saying, I just want you to know in all fairness, because what I'm saying is I don't want to take credit for it, because that would make me kind of like a, a thief, uh-huh, because uh-huh. I'm just quoting sure. those famous Jewish scholars that have explained yeah. this for centuries. And, uh, and this is one of the teachings. And one of the people, I, I tried to avoid this, but one of the famous scholars was a guy named Rashi, and he explains it because that there's a problem here that this unrighteous person cannot, he's not worthy of being in the here and buried with, right, with Elisha and touching his body and being buried with himself. And this is a little story that mm-hmm. kind of highlights that. Yeah. Austin, I, I'm interested, oh, our time is going, but I am very interested in how do you know this is, this is miracle number 32, you say? Yeah, I heard that uh, from a sermon. I see. Does that... I guess it gives it some significance then that Elisha then is truly the uh, the follower, uh, 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 the mentor. I mean, uh, Elijah was a mentor to Elisha. I'm so sorry our time is up, Austin. Stay on the line and talk to John, all right? Folks, you'll take uh, time to join with us next Sunday for the Bible Live Quiz Show. We hope to see you then. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.